A young man was trying to establish himself as a peach grower. He had worked uh, very hard and invested his all in a peach orchard. And that orchard blossomed wonderfully, that is, until the frost came. Well, the young man didn't go to church the next Sunday, nor the next, nor the next. And so the preacher decided to go and visit him and find out what was going on. And the young man said to the preacher, I'm not coming anymore. Do you think I can worship a God who cares for me so little that he will let a frost kill all my peaches? Well, the older preacher looked at him for a few moments in silence and then said kindly, God loves you better than he does peaches. He knows that while peaches do better without frosts, it is impossible to grow the best men without frosts. His object is to grow men, not peaches. We have a hard time remembering that, don't we? In our Christian life, we're going along serving God, and things are going wonderful, and the sun is shining, and the the birds are singing, and then troubles and trials and hardships and heartache comes. How do we respond to that? How do we react? Uh, What are we thinking during those days? What are we saying about our situation as we talk to other people? What do you do when trouble comes, Christian? Perhaps if you were honest, you'd say you're in trouble this morning. Warren Wiersbe said when trouble comes to our lives, we can do one of three things. We can endure it, we can escape it, or we can enlist it. We can endure it, we can escape it, or we can enlist it. He says if we only endure our trials, then trials become our master, and we have a tendency to become hard and bitter. If we try to escape our trials, then we'll probably miss the purposes that God wants to achieve in our lives. But if we'll enlist our trials, he says they will become our servant instead of our masters, and they'll work for us. And God will work all things together for our good and his glory. Of course, that familiar verse there in Romans eight twenty-eight. So when trouble comes, friend, what do you do? Do you just endure the trial? Do you just grit your teeth and become hard and, and bitter? Or do you enlist the trial wisely? Do you go to the Lord and bring those burdens and you cast your cares on Him, asking Him to take these trials, these heartaches, these hardships, and work all these things out for your good and His glory? Or would you be honest today, would you say that you try to escape the trial? So many want to do this. They want to run away from their problems. They want to run away from their trials. Maybe you're running this morning. Perhaps you agree with Linus at the Peanuts comic strip. You know, in one of those strips, Linus and Charlie Brown, they're discussing Linus's philosophy that there is no problem so big that it cannot be run away from. And while that may be fine for comic strip characters, that is not the way that you and I should live our lives. Today we're starting a brand new sermon series called Romance and Redemption, the Book of Ruth. Romance and Redemption, the Book of Ruth. And as we open our Bibles to that book, we find right away a man who tried to run away from his problem. Rather than enlisting it or or even enduring it, he chose to escape it. That man's name was Elimelech. Uh, Perhaps you know the story of Ruth, 
or maybe this is brand new to you today, or maybe it's been a long time since you've uh, been in that little book. But go to that book this morning. Uh, if you start at the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And we'll be in the very first chapter of Ruth, and we'll begin reading there at verse number 1. Ruth chapter 1. And we'll begin reading at verse 1. The Bible says there, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Joab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, and came. And the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. Verse 5 says, And Malon and Kilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. You know, as this book opens, we learn a lot in the very first sentence. We're told right away when these events took place, and we're also told uh, what Elimelech's problem was. We know these events took place, it says, when the judges ruled, and we know that the problem that Elimelech faced was there was a famine in the land. Now, what does it mean when it talks about the time that the judges ruled? Well, it's referring to the time that is described in the book that comes right before the book of Ruth, and that's the book of Judges. This is the time between the death of Joshua and the first king, King Saul. Uh, if you grew up in church and, and uh, as a boy or girl you went to Sunday school and, and you've heard the Bible stories throughout your life, you probably remember some of the judges, uh, Samson and Gideon and Shamgar and, and who could forget Deborah. Now, what was life like during the days of the judges? Uh, well, look at the last verse of that book. If you just have to look up on the same page or perhaps turn back a page, Judges 21, verse 25 says this, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, how do you reckon things were uh, when every man was doing what was right in his own eyes? Yes, it was very dark. The days of the judges were filled with idolatry and immorality and violence and sin and apostasy. And against that dark backdrop, we have a beautiful love story that plays out here in the book of Ruth. A story of romance, a story of redemption, but, but we're getting kind of ahead of ourselves. We've got to come back to verse 1 and see how this book begins. And we notice that there is a famine in the land. Now, all of us would agree that's a very serious problem. Now, we know Elimelech and his family, they lived in Bethlehem, Judah. And it's interesting to note uh, what those uh, words, what those names mean. I understand that Bethlehem there means, of course, the house of bread. And Judah means praise. Oh, and by the way, Elimelech means my God is king. Now, when you put all those together, you see that we 
we see that Elimelech could have said, My God is king, and I live in the house of bread and praise. <laughs> you know, names are very significant, uh, very meaningful in the Old Testament. And in Bible times, and it says, my God is king, and I live in the house of bread and praise. But there was a famine in the house of bread. And that famine was probably as a result of the disobedience of Israel. And God was bringing uh, chastisement upon them. Now, Elimelech faces a decision. He's in the midst of a trial. He's in the midst of a problem. He's facing this famine. So what does he do? Does he enlist it and turn to God for direction and, and guidance? No. Well, does he just try to endure the problem and just kind of grit his teeth and, and move through? Perhaps for a time he did. But ultimately, Elimelech decided to escape it. Elimelech decides to move his family to Moab. Uh, if you look at the uh, very first verse there, we know it was, it was supposed to be a short move. It says, he went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And then it says in verse 2, the name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi, the name of his two sons, Malon, Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Now, he's living in the promised land, but he decides to go to Moab. And as you read these verses, perhaps you're thinking, well, so what? It makes sense to me if they're struggling uh, with the famine in Bethlehem, Judah, why not make the trip? Why not go to Moab? Why not spend some time there? Why not spend some days in, in a land where it's not so difficult? Well, because the Moabites were the enemies of Israel. Listen to how Stephen Davy describes the situation. He says, even though they were distantly related, Israel and Moab had been sworn enemies from the earliest years. And when you go back and you get the history of the Moabites, you'll begin to kind of grasp better what's going on here. You remember Lot, the nephew of Abraham. Well, as Stephen Davy reminds us, while in a drunken stupor, he had incestuous relations with his two daughters. A very sad time uh, when you look at the life of Lot. And each of his daughters conceived and bore a son. And Lot's oldest daughter named her son Moab. And, of course, Moab became the father of the Moabites. Now, the nation of Moab was an idolatrous nation. In fact, it was so wicked, they sacrificed their own children to its national god, uh, Chemosh. Now, uh, it seems incomprehensible, but the Moabites believed that the smell of burning flesh... And the streams of innocent children satisfied their God, their false God. Notice what our God, Jehovah, says about Moab. In Psalms uh, chapter 60, verse 8, uh, God says this, Moab is my washpot. Moab is my washpot. Now that seems kind of maybe a little bit strange to you. Uh, what is God saying when he says that Moab is my washpot? Well, washpot literally meant garbage heap. Moab is my garbage heap. Now think about that. Elimelech chose to leave the house of bread and sojourn in the garbage heap. You know, the grass may have been greener in Moab, but as Irma Bombeck once said, the grass is always greener over the septic tank. 
Now think about this. He's living in the house of bread. He's living in the promised land. But he decides to move or at least sojourn from the house of bread. He decides to sojourn in the garbage heap. Now this decision, beloved, not only affected him. It says specifically he carried his wife and his two sons with him as well. Well, what happened, preacher? Well, as you'll see in the next three verses, we'll attend three funerals and two weddings. Three funerals and two weddings. That's why we call today's message Funerals and Weddings in Moab. Now, Elimelech dies first. Naomi becomes a a widow in verse 3. It says in verse 3, And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. So there she is in Moab with her two boys, Malon and Kilion. We don't know how old they were at this moment. Uh, But one would think that she would quickly head back to Bethlehem, Judah. Uh, She would quickly go back to her people, to her, her land, her home. But she doesn't. They remain. And we move from having a funeral in verse 3 to having two weddings in verse 4. Now it says in verse number 4, And they, that is her two sons, took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. Malon and Kilion take wives from the Moabites. They marry Orpah and Ruth. And they dwell there for about 10 years. Now, we're not sure if that 10 years was 10 years from the beginning of their entire family arriving in Moab or 10 years from the time that Malon and Kilian got married. But we know that they were there at least 10 years. Now, we can understand how this happened. I mean, Malon and Kilian get the age where it's time to, to settle down and, and to uh, uh, find a wife and get married. And they're there in the land of Moab. So who are they going to marry? Well, they're going to marry a Moabite woman. Well, what's wrong with these marriages? I mean, it seems to make sense, right? They're there. The ladies are there. It just seems to all come together. Well, listen to this passage in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 3. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land where thou goest to possess it, and has cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them, listen, Utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Now, I'll be honest with you. It does not specifically mention the Moabites in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. It does not say that you cannot uh, marry a Moabite. But if you go further and read in Ezra 9 and Nehemiah 13, it's very clear that uh, they were also uh, included by the law. Let me share those verses with you. Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations. Now listen, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians and the Amorites, 
For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hands of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass. He says it's a trespass that you've joined with these people. And then Nehemiah 13's even stronger. Nehemiah 13, 23-25 says, In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And, and I contended with them, and cursed them, and smote certain of them, and plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves." So we know that God says, listen, Moab is my washpot. Moab is my garbage heap. You shouldn't marry with the Moabites. But then listen to what Deuteronomy 23.3 says. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. So here we have these mixed marriages. And, and, and I guess things were going along for a time. And now we move from one funeral to two weddings to two more funerals. Look at verse number 5. It says, And Malon and Kilion died, also both of them, and the women, or, or the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Now think about this. In verse 5, we have three widows now. Naomi lost her husband, Orpah lost her husband, and Ruth lost her husband. Now we're not really surprised that Malon and Kilion died. Uh, the Bible uh, scholar Ed Heinsen said their names literally meant puny and pining. <laughs> puny and pining. And, and that could have referred to their physical, uh, uh, could have described them physically. That is, that they were not the, the healthiest and strongest of boys. Puny and pining. Uh, so here we have Naomi. She had lost everyone near to her there in Moab, uh, but her two daughters-in-law. What is she going to do? Uh, what's her response? What's her reaction? Well, we're going to have to reserve that for next time because we still have some lessons to learn here from the decision that Elimelech made. Yeah, we read this, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Uh, this is a true story of Elimelech and his family. Uh, we don't know exactly why Elimelech and his sons died, if it was uh, the Lord uh, doing that because of their decisions, or if it was other reasons, health reasons, whatever. There's a lot of speculation. We're not told here. We'll not get deep into that. We do know that they died. We do know that uh, Elimelech made some poor decisions, some unwise decisions here. And what can we learn in applying to our lives living in April of 2010. I mean, what does this story... We understand the story. We, we kind of got it there. But what does it mean to, to us today in the day in which we live? What lessons can we take from this? Well, as I, I pondered this story and as I looked at it, I thought of several. And, and these are not fancy. I didn't take the time to necessarily make sure they were alliterated and put just in a, in, a, in a fancy way. I jotted these down as they came. And as we go through this, you might want to jot them down as well, these lessons that we can learn and apply to our own lives. I think, number one, this story reminds us that God's people are not immune to hardship and suffering. 
God's people are, are not immune to hardship and suffering. Now, Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, made an unwise decision. He was not acting like uh, God was his king. He didn't consult the Lord. He, he made some decisions. He put his family in a, in a, a difficult situation. And, and Naomi, his wife, and their sons, they faced some difficulties there. They faced some hardships, some suffering, beginning back with the famine in Bethlehem, Judah, and then Naomi having to endure the death of her husband, the death of, the, death of her sons. It reminds us that as believers, we're not immune to hardship and suffering. Listen, Christian, God has not promised us smooth sailing, but he has promised us a safe landing. We're going to face hardships. We're going to face suffering in our lives. But here's the great news. As believers, if we know Christ is our Savior, we have the Lord with us in those struggles, in those trials, in those storms. We're not immune to them, but we have the Lord to help us to grow and to make it through those times. Now, for the men... Uh, men, as I look at this story, it reminds me that we have uh, some decisions to make for our families many times, and, and those decisions have tremendous impact on our families. You know, Elimelech here decided to move his family from Bethlehem, Judah, to Moab, from the house of bread to the garbage heap, and it had a tremendous impact upon his family. Men, we've got to remember it's not just us that we're concerned with. It's not just an impact upon us. It's not just what happens to us. We need to look at our wives and our children, our families, and think about those decisions that we're making. You know, sometimes that decision looks so wonderful, but it can be detrimental to our family and their welfare. Well, for the single and married Christian, as I looked at this story, Listen, if that's you, this reminds you of the importance of marrying someone who is a Christian as well. The Bible's clear to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I mean, common sense alone tells you that, but then God's word is clear. If you're a believer, if you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Christ, you need to marry someone else who's a follower of Christ and establish your home upon Christ and live for Christ. And then as I kept looking here, I saw a lesson, I think, that's a great one for the ladies. Now, this was applicable, of course, to ladies and men, but listen specifically to ladies because it mentions Naomi here. Ladies, I think this reminds you of the importance of making sure that you find your true security in the Lord. Now, all of us need to do that. But Naomi here is the one who's really being brought to the forefront as she's left as the widow, mourning the loss of her husband and sons. And, and this reminds you, ladies, you've got to make sure that you find your true security in the Lord. Why? Because your husband may pass away. Some listening, your husband's already passed away. You're already a widow. Others, uh, those days may be coming sooner or somewhere in the future. You know, you look around, we, we understand that many times the dear lady will outlive her husband. And so if you're, all your security and world is wrapped up in your husband, when your husband passes away, what then? So make sure that your true security, your true security is in the Lord. Well, what else do you see here, preacher? Well, I think this story reminds us as well that we're not to sacrifice the spiritual on the altar of the physical. Or, or sacrifice the spiritual on the altar of the temporal. Well, what do you mean? Well, listen, as important as food is, 
and, and you got to have it to live. And famine is no laughing matter. It's no small problem. As important as it is to find that uh, sustenance for life, how much more important is it to make sure that we're growing and feasting spiritually? Sometimes we want to sacrifice the spiritual on the altar of the physical or temporal. We make a decision that may benefit us physically or temporally for this day, but it impacts us in our spiritual growth. We've got to be very careful not to do that. To realize that we need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto us. So be very careful in that. And it also reminds us, we talked about at the very beginning of today's message, that we have to handle our problems, our trials, our heartaches, our sorrows in a proper way. Not just enduring it. You know, a lot of folks are doing that. Just kind of, I'm going to grit my teeth and get through this. Not just enduring it. And, and not trying to escape the problem. So many people want to run away from their problems. Well, here's the problem. The problems go with you. Not trying to endure them. Not trying to just escape them. But enlisting them. Bringing them to the Lord. And saying, Lord, here's my situation. You know it. You've told me to cast all my care upon you. You told me to cry out to you, and so I bring these problems, I bring these heartaches, I bring these trials, these things I'm going through. And Lord, I want you to take these things, and I want you to use them for my good and your glory. Father, if there are lessons you want me to learn through these trials, I want you to help me to learn the lessons. I want you to help me to walk by faith and not by sight. I want you to take these and, and use them to mold me and shape me more into the image of the Lord Jesus. Father, I want you to give me patience and, and grace and wisdom to enlist and use these problems for your glory. You see, that's the way we should handle our problems as believers. We should bring them to the Lord, lay them out before Him, give them to Him, and trust Him to work out His will and His way in our lives. I mean, there's so many great lessons here in these five verses. And you know what? This also reminds us that death is coming. You know, here we have... Uh, some rejoicing times, many times in a family, there's great rejoicing and celebrating when there are uh, weddings that take place, and there are two weddings here, but there's time of mourning and loss when a loved one dies. And here in these five verses, we have Elimelech and Malon and Kilion, and they pass away, and there's those times of death and mourning. Naomi is there looking around, and the only ones left are her daughters-in-law. Death is coming. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Now here's the question, uh, friend. Are you ready? Are you ready? You know, we had a, we had a, a funeral uh, here at the church uh, on, on Saturday. And it's a reminder, again, a fresh and anew, that, that, that life is short. Um, the brevity of life. We walk out each Sunday and we look and, and we see our church cemetery. It's a reminder that death is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you know the Lord Jesus uh, as your Savior? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've turned from your sin to Christ? You said, listen, I don't want my sin anymore. I want Christ. And you have trusted Him and taken Him by grace through faith. If not, friend, today's the day to turn to Christ. Today's the day to cry out to Him. Today's the day to place your faith, your trust, totally and 100% in Him and have eternal life. Now, this book of Ruth is, is an awesome little book. 
And I'm looking forward to our days in it. And just these very first opening five verses, as we kind of set the scene and see where we're going and what's happening, it's amazing to see how God can take in the midst of that darkness of the days of the judges and bring out a story of romance and redemption. I'm looking forward uh, to what we're going to be studying together. Let me ask you today, what is God the Holy Spirit saying to you? As it talked about the various lessons here, maybe you're going through hardship or suffering. Are you giving those problems? Are you giving to the Lord, asking Him to take them and, and use them for your good and His glory? How about it, men? Are you recognizing afresh and anew today that your decisions have a tremendous impact on your family? Maybe you're here and you're, you're a single unmarried believer. Maybe you're getting to the point where you're just ready to settle down. Listen, don't settle for less. Wait for God's best. Wait for God to bring that man or woman into your life that is the one he has for you. And you can live your lives together honoring and glorifying the Lord. Ladies, how about it? Maybe you're here today and you're, you've lost your husband in death. Are you looking to the Lord? Are you resting in him? Maybe you're here today and your whole world is wrapped up in your husband and family. Listen, your security needs to be found in the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're facing a decision today, and it's something that will benefit you physically, it'll benefit you temporarily, but you know, you know, you know, in your own heart, that it's going to affect you in a, in a bad way spiritually. Listen, don't make the wrong decision. Go to the Lord, take it to Him, ask for instruction and direction, and make a decision that will benefit you spiritually. And then listen, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, I want to encourage you. To come to Christ. I want to encourage you to turn from your sin to Christ and come today and have eternal life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lessons that we have learned today from Ruth. And Father, we thank you for this little book and we thank you for the way that you worked and moved in the life of this family. And Father, I pray that you would help us all to be sensitive to the leading of thy Holy Spirit. Whatever the need may be, whatever area that uh, we need to talk to you about today, we need to bring to you. I pray that you would help us to do that. If there's one lost listening today, I pray today will be the day they come to know Christ as Savior. They'll turn from their sin to Christ. If there's a believer struggling today, I pray that they would bring those problems, those heartaches, those trials to you and allow you to use them for their good and your glory. I pray for the single and married Christian. I pray for uh, the, the lady who's listening. I pray for the man who's listening, that you would just use these lessons. Lord, help us to be made more like Christ. And help us not to sacrifice the spiritual, to sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the physical and temporal. But help us to seek first you and your kingdom and trust you to add all these things. And we pray these things in the Savior's name. Amen. And amen.